This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 118, entitled John chapter 1, verse 3, and creating through word and wisdom. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is your weekly podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. As always, I will be your host. This episode is dedicated to coming to a greater understanding of John 1.3 in light of its Jewish wisdom context. In this passage, God creates all things, that is, everything that has ever come into being, through his personified word. Unfortunately, many readers of Scripture will argue with that last sentence that I have said. Some will say that the word is not a personification and that it is actually the preexistent Son of God. Others will say, no, 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 God's word is his plan. A minority of biblical Unitarians are arguing as of late that creation, that is the bringing of something into existence, is not what is being described in John 1.3. This episode aims to bring these interpreters to the same table in order to set out the relevant passages and data that make up the conceptual context out of which the prologue was written. Is the Logos in John 1.3 a conscious divine being alongside the Father? What do the three creation verbs in John 1.3 actually mean? And how would this passage sound to those early believers who were deeply entrenched in Jewish wisdom traditions. Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is a close look at John 1-3 within the prologue of John. So I think it's good to read this passage, John 1-3, and I'm going to read it out of the New American Standard Version. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, Nothing came into being that has come into being. That's John chapter 1, verse 3. Before we look at several Jewish texts that sound remarkably familiar with what we have here in John 1, 3, we need to determine what is being said in this passage. The first thing that we notice is that the word, God's Logos, is the agent in what appears to be acts of creation. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being. Now, we need to remember that the word is being personified throughout the prologue of John. The word was already portrayed as being with God, in John 1.1 and in John 1.2. 1, 
as a personification, the word is, in my opinion, being depicted as a male. Since logos is grammatically masculine in Greek. For those familiar with depictions of wisdom personified in Proverbs, where God's wisdom is depicted as a female, a personified lady, the personification of the Logos as a male should come as no surprise. Too often, readers who are unfamiliar with the personification of word and wisdom of God in the Old Testament and in the intertestamental Jewish literature, try to water down the personification within the prologue. But this interpretive move, I think, is a knee-jerk reaction. The word that was in the beginning with God is not a conscious divine person alongside the Father. The Word is a personification of God's creative and powerful speech, God's utterance. But personifications are not persons. So the modern translations, which almost universally translate the Logos as a male figure, are correct in doing so, because that would be how you would depict a personification. And if you're having a hard time understanding personification, I would encourage you to meditate upon Proverbs chapter 8 until you become comfortable with the extent in which Jewish wisdom literature can stretch the boundaries of personifying an attribute of God, like God's wisdom or God's word. Secondly, John 1.3 is not making the personified Logos the creator. The wording of John 1.3 is very clear. All things came into being through the Logos. The only true God, the Father, is the creator. And God used the Logos as the vehicle through which all things came into being. God is the source, and the personified Logos is the instrument. This is an absolutely crucial point. John 1.3 is not making the Logos out to be the creator. God is the creator. Thirdly, the verb that is used in John 1.3 which appears three times in that verse, seems to be indicating acts of creation. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. You can see there the verb sounding like creation appearing three times. The Greek verb used here is yenome. Some interpreters try to cast doubt on the meaning of yenome within this passage, trying to play on the fact that the verb has multiple meanings. It is true that yenome has multiple meanings, but I want to draw on the BDAG lexicon 
the current standard Greek lexicon for New Testament studies, to see how it defines the verb in question. So when you look up yinome in the BDAG lexicon, you can see the first definition, which says to come into being through process of birth or natural production, be born, be produced. The second definition says to come into existence, be made, be created, be manufactured, be performed. And the sub-entry under definition number two, so we have 2a, has John 1 verse 3. It also has John 1 3 divided into three sections. So we have John 1 3 C, John 1 3 A, and John 1 3 B because the verb yinome shows up in John 1 3 three times. But we can see that John 1 3 is under the definition which says that yinome means to come into existence, to be made, to be created, to be manufactured, and to be performed. So I think we need to take seriously the fact that our standard lexicons are saying that this verb in John 1.3 is talking about creation, about bringing something into existence. It is also noteworthy to point out that yinome has its highest concentration of appearances among all the chapters of the Greek Old Testament and Greek New Testament in Genesis chapter 1, the chapter that details how God spoke creation into existence with his creative and powerful word. Yes, the verb yenome appears 23 times in Genesis chapter 1. So its triple occurrence in John 1-3 involving the bringing into existence of all things by God through his word is what we would naturally expect of something coming out of that conceptual context. Fourthly, the scope of creation that is depicted in John 1-3 is all-encompassing. Note the wording in John 1-3. It doesn't make an exception. It says, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. This is not one of those places in Scripture to where all doesn't mean all. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Everything that has come into existence was made by God using his creative and powerful word. All things refers to the heavens, the earth, the animals, and even human beings. It's not limited to the items mentioned in Genesis chapter 1, like the birds, fish, oxen, and human beings, because all of those continue to reproduce. We can see a confirmation of this point a few verses later in the prologue. In John chapter 1, verse 10, which says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. 
So in this verse, the world was made through the Logos. Remember, the Logos is personified as a male. The Logos was in the world, and the world was made through the Logos. God still being the creator and creating through his personified speech. But the world did not know the Logos. The world that came into being by God using his creative word was the same world that did not know the Logos, according to John 1.10. The depiction of the Logos in the world indicates the ministry of Jesus, who is the embodiment of the Logos. But the world that rejected Jesus was the same world that was made through the Logos. So the world that rejected Jesus certainly is part of the all things mentioned in John 1, 3. In other words, John 1, 3, saying that all things were made through the Logos, includes, naturally, the world that was created through the Logos, as mentioned in John 1, 10. So we have a rough outline of what John 1.3 is saying within the prologue of the fourth gospel. We can search for similar passages that predate the prologue in order to determine its origins and roots in Jewish wisdom theology. Our second point today is depictions of God creating through his word and wisdom. So we'll look at passages within the Hebrew Bible and within Second Temple Judaism where God brings things into existence through his personified wisdom and his personified word. First place we will look at is in Psalm 33, verse 6, which says, By the word of Yahweh, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. That's Psalm 33, verse 6. This is the standard passage cited as directly influencing John 1, 3. The poet depicts acts of creation, the heavens were made and all their host, just as we see in the opening chapters of Genesis. Who is the creator in this passage in Psalm 33, verse 6? Answer, Yahweh is the creator. How does Yahweh go about creating the heavens? Answer, he uses his personified word, which is clearly portrayed in the poetry of this psalm as the instrument in the act of creation. God creates by his word. The word is not the creator. The word is personified as the instrument through which God creates. This is exactly the sort of arrangement of a sole creator using his personified utterance that we see in John 1.3. Furthermore, it is absolutely clear that this word is not a conscious divine person alongside God. 
because the parallel statement in Psalm 33, verse 6, clarifies the word as the breath of God's mouth. God creates with his word, and God creates with the breath of his mouth. Moreover, Psalm 33, verse 6 sounds remarkably like the acts of creation in Genesis chapter 1, where God spoke and various things are created. As we're going to see soon, many writers picked up on this poetic depiction of God creating with his personified word. And similar things are said in regard to God's wisdom. Let's look at one of those passages, turning over to Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 19. Yahweh, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up. That's Proverbs 3, verses 19 through 20. The continuous refrain in Genesis chapter 1, where that which God created with his word was good, indicated an ordered wholeness in God's creation. Proverbs, therefore, found an appropriate way to depict God creating with his wisdom. God's wisdom being his wise ordering of creation. To depict God creating with his wisdom is to say that God created wisely and orderly, resulting in the goodness of creation. Just as we observed in Psalm 33.6, Proverbs 3.19 personifies wisdom as the instrument God uses to found the earth. Again, it is quite clear that Yahweh is the creator and wisdom is the personified instrument that the creator uses. Wisdom is not the creator. That much is clear. While Proverbs chapter 8 demonstrates the full extent of what the personified wisdom looks like in poetry, being a lady alongside Yahweh, this very same wisdom is clarified in our current passage as God's understanding and God's knowledge. In other words, to portray Yahweh creating with his wisdom is not to put acts of creation in the hands of more than one person because wisdom, understanding, and knowledge are personifications acting as instruments through which the poet can colorfully portray the wise ordering of creation by a good creator. Furthermore, it is not difficult to see how God's personified word and God's personified wisdom came to be understood in the first century as synonyms. Since God created with his word and God created with his wisdom. Both of these points 
are present in the poetry of the Old Testament. And, as we will see in our next passage, both are present in the book of Psalms. So we're going to move back to Psalms, looking at Psalm 104, verse 24. O Yahweh, how many are your works? In wisdom you have made them all. That's Psalm 104, verse 24. Well, Psalm 33.6 can portray God creating with his personified word. Psalm 104 can depict Yahweh making all of his mighty works with his wisdom. Wisdom is again personified as the wise instrument through which Yahweh created all his works. The poet is clear that Yahweh is the sole creator and that his personified wisdom is the instrumental agent. There is no confusion suggesting that wisdom is the creator. Nor is there any hint that wisdom is a conscious divine female alongside Yahweh. Psalm 104 is saying exactly what we observed in Proverbs 3.19 that God wisely and orderly made all things. If this passage, Psalm 104, verse 24, was worded like John 1, 3 in the prologue, it would sound like all things came into being through her, and apart from her, nothing came into being that has come into being. The poetry in Psalms Proverbs and Genesis chapter 1 continued to be influential in depictions of God creating with his personified word and his personified wisdom. And we can observe this tendency in first century AD texts that predate the Gospel of John. I want to just sample the plethora of texts available looking at Philo, Wisdom of Solomon, and the New Testament book of Hebrews. So we'll pull a passage here out of Philo. These next three texts all were written within the first century AD, and they were all written prior to the writing of the Gospel of John. So the first text coming from Philo has him saying that wisdom being his mother through whom all things came unto creation. That's Philo's treatise on flight and finding, chapter 1, verse 109. Philo was a Greek-speaking Jew who lived in Alexandria, Egypt. His writings, including this passage, came about in the early decades of the first century A.D., Philo is known for his allegorical approach to interpreting the Old Testament. Having been deeply influenced by how the Old Testament personifies wisdom as a female figure, Philo likewise presents God's wisdom as a mother. Just as Proverbs 3.19 depicts God founding the earth through his personified wisdom, and, just as Psalm 104.24 portrays God making all his wonders 
through his personified wisdom, Philo writes that God the Father brought all things unto creation through wisdom, which is personified as a female figure. In fact, a near duplicate statement about God creating through his personified wisdom is mentioned in a separate treatise by Philo. What we are left with is a first century Jew who continued to regard God as the creator of all things and the manner in which God creates is by using his wisdom, which is personified as a female. As a reminder, the writings of Philo were written in the same century as the Gospel of John, with Philo predating the fourth gospel by over half a century. Let's move on to our next passage. This is in Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 9, starting in verse 1. O God of my ancestors and Lord of mercy, who has made all things by your word and by your wisdom, you have formed humankind. That's Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. Wisdom of Solomon is a massively poetic book written around 40 AD. It was included in the Septuagint collection of Greek documents that made up the Greek Old Testament. Wisdom of Solomon has much to say about God's personified wisdom. In this passage, the author praises the God of his ancestors, who is the Creator. How does God create all things? Answer, He creates all things with His personified Word. And, in the same breath, the author of Wisdom of Solomon is able to say that God created with His personified Wisdom. In other words, we have direct evidence that God's personified Word and His personified Wisdom were regarded as near synonyms in first century Jewish religious texts. Texts which, by the way, were read by early Christians. It is clear in this passage that God is the creator and that his word slash wisdom is the instrument through which God creates. The word is not the maker of all things. God is. Wisdom is not the one that forms human beings. God is. Wisdom of Solomon is saying exactly what we found in Psalms and Proverbs, that God is the creator and that he makes all things with his personified word and wisdom, both of which are not presented as divine conscious persons alongside the creator God. This passage, Wisdom of Solomon chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, is extremely important when it comes to understanding how the prologue of John would have been understood by its original audience because it makes the strong case that all that is being said about the Word that was in the beginning with God could be said about God's personified wisdom. 
let's move a little further into the first century and look at a New Testament document, the book of Hebrews. We'll be reading out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. The book of Hebrews, which was written sometime between 60 and 80 AD, offers this comment about creation involving God's personified word. Drawing on the traditional portrayals of God speaking creation into existence, as we observe in Genesis, Psalm 33, and Wisdom of Solomon, the author of Hebrews invites his readers to adopt this position as something they understand by faith. There is no indication that the word here is anything more than a personification of God's powerful and creative speech. Furthermore, word is translated from the Greek noun rima, which is basically a Greek synonym for logos. It demonstrates that the concept of God creating with his personified speech was not limited within the Greek language to the noun logos. Moreover, the verb translated made in this verse is yinome, the very same verb that appeared three times in John 1.3. In sum, we have a passage in Hebrews chapter 11 written anywhere between 10 and 35 years before the Gospel of John, where two New Testament documents portray the creation of the world with the verb yinome and with God's personified word. In other words, this concept was already being casually mentioned in Christian circles decades before the prologue of John was ever written. And if the typical reconstruction of Hebrews is correct, that it was written from Alexandria to Rome, this demonstrates that the Christian acceptance of the Jewish personification of God's word in relation to creation was widespread since the Johannine community to which the fourth gospel was written was almost certainly located in Ephesus. And by the way, Ephesus, Alexandria, and Rome are all quite far apart. Having established that John 1.3 continues the widespread portrayal of God creating through his personified wisdom and word within Psalms, Proverbs, Philo, Wisdom of Solomon, and the New Testament, we need to take a quick look at Genesis chapter 1 to determine if there are any noteworthy parallels to the prologue of John. Our third point today is speaking creation into existence in Genesis chapter 1. I'm just going to read a sampling of Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1, which says, 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3 says, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 6, then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Verse 9, then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Verse 20, then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. That's a scattering of verses out of Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1 and ending in verse 31. If there was any question as to the origins of the saying in Psalm 33, 6, where Yahweh has made the heavens with his personified word, it is without question found in Genesis chapter 1. In fact, all of the elements in the opening verses of the prologue of John, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, can be observed in Genesis chapter 1. There is a single creator, God, who brings all things into being by speaking them into existence with his powerful and creative word. God speaks and he creates light, life, and human beings. God even separates the light from the darkness. As I mentioned earlier, the verb yenome, which is used three times in John chapter 1, verse 3, to refer to the act of bringing all things into existence, appears in Genesis chapter 1 23 times in its Greek translation. In other words, John chapter 1, verse 3 uses the same verb that is employed 23 times in Genesis chapter 1 to convey what happens when God speaks. When God speaks, he brings things into existence. When God speaks, he creates. Of course, the opening phrase of John 1.1 in the beginning is a direct quotation of the opening phrase in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, Septuagint, which should have been the first clue that alerted us to how John 1 was trying to portray God and his word. In Genesis chapter 1, God's creative and powerful word is depicted by God speaking. There is no hint or suggestion that God's word is a conscious divine being alongside God. God's creative word is his powerful utterance. And it's not difficult to see what the prologue of John meant when it says that God made all things through his personified speech. 
the word in John 1, which draws upon and quotes from Genesis chapter 1, is God's personified utterance, not the second member of the Trinity, not a preexistent son, not an archangel, nor any other conscious being. In conclusion, we have observed that John chapter 1 verse 3 portrays the personified Logos in a critically important role in acts of creation. The Word, which is personified as a male figure, is the instrument through whom God created all things. In fact, John chapter 1 verse 3 explains that not a single thing came into existence apart from God creating through his Logos. The prologue of John is clear that God is the creator and that the Logos is the means through which creation comes into being. We also observed that John 1.3 is saying effectively what has been said in a variety of Jewish sources for hundreds of years. Portrayals of God creating through his personified word, as well as through his personified wisdom, are scattered throughout Psalms, Proverbs, and it is especially present in Genesis chapter 1. Furthermore, we noted three different writers in the first century, Philo, the author of Wisdom of Solomon, and the author of Hebrews, who all continued to say the very same things that we saw in Psalms and Proverbs. John chapter 1 verse 3 must be read in light of this wider first century context, and it should not be divorced from it. Moreover, we observed that John 1 3 drew heavily on Genesis chapter 1, where God speaks all things into existence. In fact, the triply occurring verb in John 1.3 to refer to coming into being was very likely influenced by the verb's 23 occurrences in Genesis chapter 1 where God creates. Finally, after looking at all these depictions of God creating through his powerful word and wisdom, there was no reason to conclude that these personified attributes of God were anything other than personifications. Neither word nor wisdom was described as actually pre-existing conscious beings alongside God in any of the sources that predate the fourth gospel. Not in Genesis, Psalms, Proverbs, Philo, Wisdom of Solomon, or Hebrews. These documents create the context in which the opening verses of the prologue were written and hopefully understood by their readers, both ancient and modern. Join us next week as we continue to progress through the prologue of John and to situate it by portraying the Logos in light of its Jewish wisdom context. 
please consider supporting the Biblical Unitarian Podcast as it aims to promote the sound truths of the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You may check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Thank you so much for listening to us today. Hopefully you're staying safe and positive during these times of health crisis. And I will see you next week on the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Thanks and have a great day.